Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. Brother, I'm racking out. I am beat. Been a quite an active day for me. We'll speak tomorrow. Have a fantastic rest of your afternoon and evening. This episode is brought to you by Rideon Optics, located in Tucson, Arizona. Rideon is the only law enforcement and military vet-owned company in the optics world. They make fantastic, fantastic equipment, and then they also have the Rideon Revolution on their website, which is a huge educational platform that includes the Rideon blog, the Rideon University, and the Rideon podcast featuring founder Brady Speth. Go to rideonoptics.com, R-I-T-O-N optics.com. All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to a special edition of the Nomad Strength Show. I'm Ross Hillier, your host, and uh, today's show is an extra. Uh, we're doing another guest show this week rather than a solo show. Uh, this episode, the uh, we're recording this is going to be released tomorrow on Thursday. Uh, I had Brandon Lilly, a good friend of mine, join me, and. Uh, we wanted to talk about our friend Terrence Mitchell. Uh, today, actually, is the one-year anniversary since he passed away. And uh, we both really just, I think, needed this conversation. Uh, it was good to talk a lot of these th things through with Brandon and uh, really hear how Terrence, you know, impacted the both of our lives in a remarkably short amount of time that he was in our lives. And uh, we have, there's some really cool stories that, and, and really well put ways describing Terrence that Brandon, uh, that Brandon is very well at describing. And uh, it was just really good to reminisce and, and tell stories about our friend. And uh, we started off actually in a different place at the beginning of the episode, talking, just catching up and talking about, you know, the state of things right now and, and how we're both doing with what's going on in our own worlds. And really this was kind of a 
flying on the wall type of situation for you guys into really just what most conversations I have with Brandon are like. It was very, you know, this is the this is how we talk when we talk to each other privately over text or on the phone or whatever it is. And these are the things we talk about. These are the questions we have. And, uh, you know, we like to talk to each other about these things. So it kind of started off in a different place than both of us were expecting. Uh, but then we get into to talking about Terrence. And that's, and that's really what we wanted to do today was just remember our friend. And uh, hopefully people who haven't gone through or weren't aware of Terrence's presence uh, before hear this now and go and search back through his Instagram and all of his writings and his posts and his his amazing way of doing things that he did. And we talk a lot about that in this episode. But uh, I really just would hope that, you know, maybe somebody new is turned on to Terrence's stuff and can still benefit and learn from him, even though he's not with us anymore. And so this was a really good conversation and good for both of us. Got a little heavy, but that's, you know, it's, that's what we needed. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy this one as we remember our friend, Terrence Mitchell. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. A um, little tired this week, just kind of been on the go nonstop the last little bit, but yeah, I don't know. I feel pretty good today. Um, didn't sleep the absolute best last night, but can't complain too much. You've been all over the place, it seems, lately. Like the last, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. It seems like the last few months you've just kind of been all over. Yeah, it's, um, and a lot of that has to do with the hunting season. You know, yeah. you get a lot, of, a lot of concentration of specifically people that I'm interested in, um, curious about, you know, entangled with and whatever this web of, of the Sornex Outdoors Brotherhood is kind of thing. So, um, yeah, just it's it's been easier to go to a place where there are multiples of those people than trying to, like, just sit down and individualize. So, yeah, it's it's been a lot. Um, a lot of times I don't even understand it, but it's kind of – I kind of play detective um, in, in a way. Like, when there's somebody that I want to talk to or somebody that I really find value in, I just keep following the steps, you know, and people will be like, hey, he's going to be here tomorrow. Can you get here? Well, you know, I, I just never know what opportunity will lead to the next. And in the position that I'm in with Sorenex, that's that's part of my job is to perpetually and continually monitor people that, that we are connected with currently, but also kind of, you know, peel the layers back on some of these people that are peripheral that are doing really cool things, Um you know, you and I have talked about a couple of people recently that, that I'm very interested in. And it's not even it's it's kind of gross to describe it that way because it sounds like a purely business venture. Right. But the the truth of the matter is a lot of the people that I contact with are not necessarily, you know, any more or any less involved with Sornex after that connection. Sure. But in some way, shape, or form, it it always comes back around because they'll introduce someone to Sornex or they'll come to a Sornex event down the line. I mean, it's just, I love it because for so much of my life, you know, I've not really been ingrained in friend circles. I've always kind of been a peripheral friend. And, you know, I am that to some degree still, but what it's allowed me to do is, is really just kind of like understand how to have impact with people, um, how to connect with people on a short-term basis because we're all high flyers. You know, they're coming in, I'm coming in, we're leaving. It's it's always just 
it, it's just always a quick turnaround. So yeah, to long long answer to a very simple question, but it's been uh, it's been a good it's been a good run of months because I love the people. Yeah. But man, it, it really does start to impact a lot of things. Um, you know, relationships here at home, just being able to see my family. You know, we have Sunday dinners every week. That stuff gets kind of pushed back and delayed. And yeah. of course it takes a physical toll uh to some degree. But I don't know, man. I, I have a I have a hard time complaining about my life right now. It's it's pretty That's good. Awesome. So That's awesome, man. It's the as far as the hunting stuff goes, um, what do you have left? Are you, I mean, do you have a couple of big ones left or are you kind of close to wrapping up things or where are you with that? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a two part answer again, like most of mine are, <laughs> um, I can hunt a few places as much or as little as I want. Um, okay. Arizona is kind of my focus right now. It's, it's an elk hunt. It is a rifle tag, um, which it's, it's an, an amazing unit. Chino has a has kind of a philosophy or a method around drawing tags in Arizona. So he just kind of looks at where people enter, where there's available tags, and he tells mm. people to, you know, this is a good place to put your money. So it's worked out the past couple of years. Um, and and I just think the importance of having quality meat like that in a, a time and situation that we're facing in the country is really important. So yeah. the elk hunt is primarily my – my go-to. So if, if the other, you know, any of the other hunts fall apart, that's understandable and acceptable, sure. but the elk hunt is kind of a primary focus. But beyond that, uh, I have a whitetail hunt in Kentucky, a whitetail hunt in Oklahoma, which is for me, it's, it's almost a more of a pig hunt than it is a whitetail hunt because okay. my friends who, who bought the farm, they're investing in the land and, and really doing a good job of, of reshaping what it is. There are deer there, but um, they're not necessarily what I would consider harvestable deer yet. Um, the progress that he's made in just two years has been incredible, but there is a s severe hog population there that needs to be uh, curbed. So, you know, I go out there with a sharp arrow and a, and a little bit of focus to, to hunt pigs. And if, if ever a deer walks out, that's uh, worthwhile of an arrow. I, I'd love to take it there because it is a special place and those yeah. guys are, are cool to me. So, and then Logan, I'm going to hunt with him uh, in Tennessee at some point. Nice. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like a lot of my situations. Um, I have the things that I have to do and will do. And then there are the things that, man, if I can sure get to them, they're going to be fun. So totally. It's a little late for it this year, but next year we need to plan on doing one together up here or something like that. If you want to make it out this way yeah i uh i definitely have a, a strong adoration and admiration for for idaho as a state um it's a beautiful place i love it out there i really need to kind of take a long look at myself as a hunter i think um i, I kind of had a realization and, and it's purely a credit to matt and the the family up there at sunset lodge in minnesota where i just hunted but they were they're you know they're I think they said 17-year overnight success. Um, for 17 years, they've really been grooming this property. And, dude, it, it is immaculate to me as a deer hunter as Augusta National would be for a golfer. Um, the way that they had the plots set out for the deer. I mean, it really just looked like a haven for turkey, deer, and pheasant. And all of those species were present. Um, all those species were there just in natural order. Uh, you could you could see them every time you sat. You could hear them every time you sat. So that's what got the wheels turning on another aspect of hunting for me 
is, yeah, you know, we, we talk about capability as men and we talk about the things that we can do and, you know, could you provide for yourself? Well, here's the thing. I sure know how to arrow an animal. Um, I have some, some, I would say decent, decent, it, it might even be a stretch, uh, stalking and, and monitoring skills when it comes to finding animal. But as far as sitting down and really doing something about it, like, man, I've got 70 acres that I've farmed and groomed and, and they'll built this thing to where every year, doe, buck, whatever, um, I'm really providing for myself. So I'm kind of at a crossroads, um, right now after that hunt. And, and I, again, I say it purely as respect to Matt and what his family's done. Um, it's, it's really got me looking at where can I buy land? What can I do with it? Um, and maybe just from a selfish standpoint, the deer got me thinking about it, but I really am just naturally inclined more towards, you know, maybe if I'm not necessarily living, uh, sustainably full time, at least I'm putting into practice aspects of it that, yeah. you know, if you had to put a little gas on the fire, you could, the, the wheels are in motion. So putting steps it, towards that direction, at least. Yeah. And, and for me, um, like, like so many I'll say men in particular, but I think people in general, you know, I'm a very, very dangerous tool when I'm put to use, you know, but mm -hmm. if I don't have something to work on, if I don't have something to think about or dream about, um, that, that tool kind of gets turned inward and, you know, I, I pick myself apart. So mm -hmm. always good to have an out, outward project. Uh, that one seems to be something I can tinker on for a few years cause it's not going to happen tomorrow, but, right. um, that's just kind of where my mind is. And I think yeah. it's, it's been a beautiful transition, um, as Sornex has, has evolved into more of, Hey, let's, let's look at the outdoor space, not because it's where money is, but it's where a heart is. Mm -hmm. Bert has just allowed me to kind of come over into that community. And it, it, it's really good for me when work and passion overlap because I like to be a passionate worker. I don't like to just work to, to you know, to punch a time card. So exactly, it's a, it's a, I don't know. There's a lot to think about right now. I think there'll be some, uh, cause I have, there's only well, like four or five days left in our open deer season. Yeah. So I'm heading up tomorrow and then I'm heading up again this weekend. Um, try to punch that tag. Uh, and then next week is my elk hunt, which is, I mean, I mean, a notoriously around here kind of difficult hunt just because of the time of year that it is. It's a rifle hunt, but it's first week in November up here. So, you know, a lot of those bulls are starting to just go off on their own and push be up by themselves for the rest of the winter and stuff like that. So, uh, but luckily we got a decent amount of snow, I think in some of the higher places. So things are up moving around, but I'm going to be, I'm going to do like four, four days or five days or something like that next week. Cause that's only like a week long season for that yeah. in this unit. So, uh, that one should be kind of fun, but I haven't been able to, uh, in the, it, cause I only really recently started hunting, hunting like three or four mm -hmm. years ago. And, uh, I've only seen while hunting, I should say, I see them all the time when I'm not hunting, which that's probably just how it goes for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. But as far as like bulls go and stuff like that, it's, uh, only seen them while hunting once from about a mile and a half away on a day that was like the closing day. And it was waning hours before we had to head out. Yeah. And so, um, I'm going with uh, a buddy of mine's dad who knows this unit super well. So I'm hoping we'll at least have a, a shot to see something and hopefully get some close 
get close to one, which would be cool. But you know, this, this whole thing, when, which is what's really cool about just how you guys are branching out into the outdoor thing and then doing stuff with like Jamie, what Jamie's doing and, and everything like that came at like such a cool time uh, for me, like really just kind of getting into this and diving in as heavy as I do. Like you and I are pretty similar in that regard mm. where, you know, it's happened to both of us with jujitsu also where like we do something and it's like, Oh, okay. This is the thing now. Like, yeah. Um, I'm going, I'm diving headfirst into this. And so all, all that stuff and like getting connected with everybody was really kind of cool all happening at this, like, seemed like it was all just kind of happening at the right time as I was getting into this world, you know? So it, it was kind of cool in that regard. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I wonder, is it a collective consciousness that is, that is maybe reawakening to the outdoors or is it that, that age bracket of, you know, say 28 to 40 years old that is, you know, into what we'll call like second chapter athletics, you know, where maybe you're not doing the thing that you did or, or you loved, but there, there needs to be something else to fuel that fire. And I think, you know, maybe guys like us and, and specifically within myself, um, I can, I can almost shift my self-help around helping other people more than myself. Mm. So if the, you know, if the action to help others improves my life, well, I don't really have to carry the weight of that self guilt on my shoulders. I know that sounds silly, but a lot of times when it's like, if I can't do something for my else, my, myself, who can I do it for? And that's been able to kind of get me over the hump a lot of times in my life. Um, so yeah, I, I think the, the self-preservation is, is wrapped up in, you know, you love your family. I love my family. I love my friends. You love your friends. I don't think it's just a selfish endeavor that you want to go out here and, um, you know, you don't want to go out here and just kill an animal just to post a picture on Instagram. There's more to it right. than that. But I do know that there are a lot of people out there that face that complex too, you know, of like, did I kill this animal because it's what I wanted to do or I'm really lost and this is what a lot of other guys are doing. You know, I mean, I, I just hope if people are getting out in the field, whether it's camping, hunting, whatever it is, they're asking these these types of questions of themselves because just as not everyone should be a hunter, um, there are other aspects of sustainability or, or you know, skill that are just as worthwhile um, in different directions, you know, other yeah. than hunting. It's it's not for everyone, certainly. Totally. The old, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to try to like say it word for word because I'll butcher it, but the old uh, Fred Bear quote um, where he's talking about the animal that he's hunting and understanding that like this animal, like you have to have respect for this animal because this animal will have, has more freedom than I will ever have in my life. Sure. And, and think about it, like having reverence for the, for the animal that you're taking the life of, like it's, I mean, it's one of those things where you, it's, you don't get it until you get it, mm -hmm. I think. And, and especially people, and this is what I talked about a ton with Robbie when he was on a few weeks ago, like, having conversations with not only people that are non hunters, but like anti sure, like having that and, and being able to make those empathetic moments with them and understanding like they're coming from a thing like this is just taking a life. You don't, you know, that's, that's all this is. And it's like, well, yes, but that's not like an enjoyable part of it for sure. a lot of, for, I would say probably for the majority, 
like that's not something you enjoy necessarily but it's a very because it's a very serious thing it's very emotional mm. and uh being a part of that certain environment like gives you a certain understanding and, and respect for what it is that you're doing you know i wish that there was a, a way um you know it's not necessarily interesting content but it would be valuable data to take out um a bunch of people that that are really maybe not even on the fence about hunting like you said maybe more of an anti-hunter go out in the field with them no gun no bow no no means of harvest mm -hmm. and just sit out there and observe and show them how hard it is you know mm -hmm. take them up the pitches and down the valleys and up and back and down and just really you know put them in three or four days worth of situations where it's like, well, we're close, but this isn't the opportune time. We're close, but we can't really take a shot. And then finally show them like, Hey, this is, this is the time when the, the harvest would be made. Mm -hmm. And then from here, if you could simulate, you know, simulate, not simulate, um, simulate breaking that down somehow, whether you bought a pig and you had it back at a camp or you had, you know, a slab of beef and you broke that down. I don't know what it would be. Sure. Um, but, but something that maybe detached the actual killing from it so that they could understand the processing from it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that at the very least, they may not, they may not see it as the supermarket slam dunk that they think it is, you know? Right. Um, I mean, look at the camp that, that I was in in, in Hawaii Look at the camp I was just in in Minnesota. I mean, very, very capable men, very, very capable hunters. Some had success, some didn't. And, yep. you know, the reality of that situation is that's hunting. You know, any one of us can go to the store on most days and then find chicken, pork, or beef aplenty, you know. and um, That might not be for long, by the way. <laughs> well, <laughs> and that's about what we were talking about earlier. You know, and that's the, that's the beauty and the concern of it, too, is mm – -hmm. I want more people to hunt. I want more people to appreciate the outdoors. I certainly think the human experience needs to revert just a little bit, at least to understand and God, like at the very least, just respect what you're putting in your mouth. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. have, have some decency about the whole process, whether it's slaughtering cows or chickens or whatever. Like I think we could definitely offer some improvement in how we treat these animals. Um, but if you just turn everything loose, I mean, we, we just don't have to look very far back to see what we did uh, yeah. in the 1800s, you know, trusted to our own, to our own limitations will eradicate anything, including ourselves. I think that's one of the problems with humanity as a whole is that, you know, we are a collective cancer survivor. <laughs> that's being told not to smoke a cigarette while simultaneously he asks for a light. You know, <laughs> we, we will not do the things that I really believe we are prescribed to, to save ourselves. So more and more, um, I think you, you would know this about me is I have a care and concern for people at large. And I think that I got so frustrated over the last 18 months because, you know, you want to help people, you want to say the right things. You don't want to misconstrue your message but I really don't feel like that many people are tuning in uh, necessarily to change. I think more and more I realize that if people are going to change, they're going to change. Um, people might stay on the track because of something I say or do, but very, very seldom am I going to get someone off the couch. 
you know, and that's that's a bit of a disheartening admission. But I also think that as long as I am doing the things that I need to do, you know, as Terrence mentioned, you know, take care of your own house, make sure it's in order, do those things. Well, then maybe at large I am making a difference, you know, because I'm not doing it for recognition or to be seen or to inspire anyone else. I'm just doing it for myself. And, you know, I think I think we need more people. Well, that's a selfish statement in and of itself. But I think I think the more that people are willing to look at what life is, what life has become in such a short time will give us an indication of where it's going so long as we can look back even just 100 years and realize, you know, where we've been. Um, mm-hmm. we're, uh, we've talked about we're a one-ripple society. We, we look at the first ripple and then we just try to fix the damage that comes with the next. I think we got to start being real serious about our individual lives of what those ripples stack up to be. Is it financial freedom? Is it emotional freedom? Is it spiritual freedom? Is it, you know, just the freedom to know that I don't have to go to a grocery store to eat. Yeah. So. And that's something that a lot of people, I mean, don't understand might not be the phrase, but like can't comprehend, like can't comprehend. Like, you know, what do you mean? Like there's no food in the grocery store. What am I supposed to do now? Mm-hmm. Like that, that's going to be something where, you know, you would hope, but there's a good chance that it probably would happen at some point. Right. Like th- that's going to be a, a situation that many people are encountering and it's going to be a, I mean, a, a negative experience, obviously, but it's like, it's going to ha- hopefully at that moment, if there wasn't anything else before then in that moment, there will be like the, Oh, I get it now. Yeah. Kind of, oh, I mean, kind of dude, I think you know that's I mean? the, I think that's the worst. I mean, I think that's the worst part of it. Um, you know, is is really. I think people are going to have an awakening of sorts, and, or a reckoning, maybe more than an awakening. Yeah. Um, there's just going to be some hard lessons faced. I mean, dude, I, I say that not as a perfect person, not as someone who has, you know, filled the freezers and and loaded up on ammo. I don't, I don't say that as someone who has everything that I think a human being needs to be prepared for whatever in order. I don't, but I do think that I have an awareness that has at least allowed me to be very, very realistic. If not with myself about what I can do, the damage that someone who is unprepared can do, you know, the links that someone who is scared or hungry or afraid will go. And it all sounds so apocalyptic, but Jesus, you know, we're talking about, you know, meat shortages and, and all these things right now. I mean, these are very realistic things that, that should probably be talked about, you know? Yeah. And none of it's even really started yet. Like the, the <laughs> no, prices, I'm... the little, the little bit of price increases across some things that we're seeing right now, people's like, Oh, this is terrible, you know? And it is, but it's like, this is not what this is, even is yet. Like this well, is the, this is the teaser before the trailer comes out about the movie that's coming. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, And two, I think, you know, part of the American problem, the psychology of Americans is, well, generalizing again, but if you have three pounds of meat in the store, you know, my deal isn't, well, I'll eat less so somebody else can have some. It's I'm going to buy all three pounds and gorge myself. (laughs) You know, um, we're not really taking steps, I don't think collectively, to to really address the problems that we're facing. I just don't, I just don't see it. Like, you know, maybe I'm paranoid. Maybe I'm 
<laughs> maybe I'm the one that's in the wrong. But I think about these things. I contemplate yeah. these things. I wonder about these things. I have a, I have a son. I, you know, I have people in my life that I, I care very, very deeply for and, and want to be okay. Um, I'm not necessarily really worried about the newest Jordans that come out. I'm not really necessarily worried about the newest, you know, Denali that's coming out in 2023 or what, you know, like I'm not, I am not distracted, I would say by these things, but yet maybe I'm the fool for thinking the sky's falling when everything's going to be all right. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I sound way more paranoid than I am when I start saying these things out loud, but dude, I'm the same. I am. I am the same, but I'm just trying to have honest conversation about things that, that I think are important, you know, and, and even yeah. like my parents, fantastic people, good hearted people. Um, but they're not necessarily willing to have conversations about such things like this because they're uncomfortable, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's not from a standpoint of like, let's build the bunker. It's just more right. of, what would you do? Like, what would happen if we we lost power for a month? What would happen right. if there wasn't meat for a month? You know, those kind of things. I mean, I don't think that they're too far fetched, and I don't, I don't like being, I don't like the feeling of even what I feel right now, kind of sounding conspiratorial about it, because right. I I think that's a I think that's a misnomer. I don't think that it is conspiratorial at all to have these conversations. Well, and that word has just taken on so many new great meanings in the last year and a half anyways. Like the amount of things, like I think one of my favorite, somebody had a tweet or something like that. And it's, and it's been six or seven months since I saw it the first time. And it just gets more true every time I think about it. But on, on, a, on a global scale, it doesn't matter what topic we're talking about. The tweet said something like the difference between a conspiracy theory and the truth is about six months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, there are things six in January that everybody was like, this, there's not a chance that any of this is remotely possible. You guys are nutballs, like all this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, well, there's another one, like put another coin in that jar. Like it's another thing that's happening again. And it's not to say like every time somebody says something crazy, it's always going to come true, but it's like, you can't just dismiss these things anymore. Cause a lot of people are more, attentive to certain situations than the what I would consider the masses when it comes to stuff. Yeah, you know, one of the issues for me too, um, you know, I, I have a very diverse friend group, right? Mm -hmm. And I have people who are very, very interested in very, very different things. Um, and you, you know, you get somebody like us, you and I together, well, you, you're a very diverse guy, you have a lot of interest, you look at a lot of different media and news sources and so if you're just if you're just one guy that has a conscious awareness about something, let's just say it's about something economic, right? And then I have something that's on more of like a health and fitness level. And then somebody comes over and they have something that's on real estate. Well, it's just three guys talking about things that they're just mildly concerned about. Sure. But if you leave that conversation and then go tell someone else and you're like, oh my God, there's these economic problems, there's these real estate problems, there's these health and fitness problems you start to sound like a crazy bastard when you're just really kind of conveying information of concern. Yeah. And I don't understand when we two things about America that's kind of ironic right now. One, we no longer seek the comeback story. We like to damn and damn forever. Um, I get a lot of flack when I post Mike Tyson stuff, you know, people are like, well, he's a rapist and he's this. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I think, 
you know, he served his jail time. And, and what about a, an African-American man, um, somebody deemed once the most violent or scariest man alive, to turn his life around to do work with, like we we're talking about farming. You know, he's mm -hmm. farming marijuana. He's, he's doing uh, mushroom research, DMT research. He's funding these things outside of also capitalizing on these things. Mm -hmm. But he's, you know, he had a Broadway show. I mean, this is somebody who is an example of really turning their life around and we don't even celebrate somebody that can get it right. You know, we, yeah. we're so quick to, oh, you said this in 2006, sir. You know what I mean? It just yep. doesn't make sense. And then the other thing, we used to be number one in, in academics as far as the sciences and the mathematics. And, and, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me when a nation that was founded on asking que questions ranging from freedom and liberty to, you know, algebraic equations and physics while we're not allowed to ask questions anymore while we're not allowed to have a, a you know a conversation based strictly in in data points rather than emotion points i i just don't understand i'm not so certain that we're not being just like duped into just being mindless like right i don't watch the news anymore you know, or as little as I can, you know, I, I try to pick through the highlights, but that's a dangerous precedent also, like mm -hmm. just to disconnect so far that, hey, I don't care about anything. Well, that's yeah. when they can really pull the wool over your eyes, whoever they is. Yeah. And that's the, that's like the, the tension, the tension that exists between me just becoming totally, because like maybe cynical is too strong about everything basically, sure. except for a couple of things in my life that I'm not <clears throat> cynical about, but everything else, it's this line between like mild skepticism and it's, and then me, my default being everybody's lying. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and that's like the tension that I'm walking that rope all the time about that. And it's frustrating, but at the same time, there's also things when you talk about how, and this is a good kind of segue into some more stuff about tea, but like the getting your own stuff in order first, like, my tension with all that is worrying about all these other things going on that I have zero control over at all. And it's all it's doing is just adding stress, which is affecting the things that I do have control over, you know, I mean, and, and having a, having an understanding or even an awareness of things that are going on, you know, in other parts of the world, I think it, it can be helpful and be healthy, but it's like, that's not my thing necessarily because I can't do anything about any of this on any level, no matter how much involved I think I am. Mm -hmm. Like me just reading more articles doesn't change anything about this, this event, you know, right. but, I, but I can affect the things that I, I make sure I can do every single day, like with my own family and taking care of myself and, and, you know, my own health and all these kind of things and my business, like those things and talk about, go back to that ripple effect. Like, that's where the first ripple starts is, is taking care of your own, your own crap first, mm -hmm. you know, and then let that ripple out from the people that you interact with and make those ripples wider and wider and wider. You know, part of the, part of the issue that I sense in that regard is, I mean, dude, you and I have had private conversations about trends that we see across social media where, you know, anything that can be turned into a story of like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I couldn't tie my shoes 
till I was 18. And then at 18, I started tying my shoes every day. I'm so brave. Thank you. <laughs> you know, like, Jesus Christ, like, how fucking low do we have to set the bar before we think somebody did something accomplished, you know? Um, it's just kind of gross to me that we're not, like, who are our heroes? Who are the people that we put on a pedestal collectively as a nation and say, these are the people that represent the best of who we are. You know, that used to be like the Olympics used to be a, a standout for that or mm -hmm. athletics or, you know, even our political leaders throughout history have been, you know, regarded as heroes. I don't know that there is a heroic, is there a heroic vein left in the collective consciousness of the United States? Is there a nationalistic vein left in the collective of the United States? You know, what, what are the things that we cling to as a nation? What are the things that define us of an, as a nation? You know, truth, justice, and the American way, apple pie, baseball. Like, where did these things go, and who are we? I think these are questions that we, we need to be asking somewhere. I don't know what forum that is, um, and I don't know who would answer them. But those types of things weigh on me, you know, like, my grandfather fought for this country. Uh, my friends have fought for this country. My friends have died for this country. I think it. I think it means something. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what it means anymore. I don't know what being a citizen of the United States truly means anymore. And that might be the most conspiratorial statement I'll make today. It's a. I mean, but it's not one that's inaccurate. You know, yeah. it's the, and in, in prior times, I would say that the idea of what the country was, was a common thread for everybody, regardless of where you stood on certain things, mm -hmm. you know, like all the disagreements and everything about policy and like all the, the minutia and the nuance of certain things, you could have as many opinions and, and, you know, heated battles as you wanted within those things. But like the overall theme of moving the country forward as a whole was that was still the, the, the goal. Right. Mm -hmm. But now it seems like there's a fairly large amount of people that like, they, they don't want that country and mm -hmm. they live here and like, they don't want to share it with right. the people that do, you know, it's not just like, Hey, go do your thing and leave us alone. It's whatever. It's like, no, this is we're we're gonna fight you for this because we don't want this and we don't want you here even at all, you right. know. And so that's I mean, and that conjures up like some very specific historical things, you know, that didn't turn out super great for the country. But like, and not to get even more doom and gloom and say like civil <laughs> war again, right? But I mean, that the the stark difference in like it's a fundamental belief, like that this is not that that a certain group of people have about like, I don't want that anymore or I never mm -hmm. did. And I'm going to try and remove it. Like that's where I think it, those, are, those are some of the, like the scary things, but bigger things are, are where those thoughts go, you know? Well, I'll tell you one thing about that. <laughs> Credit to my dad for being a pretty smart dude. Um, you know, when you're, when you're a teenager and you have those kind of rebellious thoughts, you don't think that where you live is that, important or you don't think that your house is cool enough or the, the car that your parents drive is cool enough you know mm -hmm. and then when you get up and you go out on your own and you start working for a living and you start just kind of piecing this life together 
you realize, oh, well, the, now these things make sense. Now it makes sense why mom and dad said these things or mom and dad disciplined me this way or we didn't have these things and we had these things. Mm -hmm. um, I think what it really boils down to is it really is just immaturity and entitlement. Um, people that have really just kind of been silver spooned, and, and I don't mean that in a way of like trust fund baby. I just mean right. that they have never, ever really experienced hardship in their lives and it allows them because their lives themselves are somewhat less than they expected. Well, it can't be their fault, right? Because their entire lives, they've been told they're perfect. Everything they did was special and everything that they did was wonderful. So obviously something has to be broken since their life sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's never going to be them. So, I mean, and, and take myself, for example, there was a lot of years in my life where, I was clearly the roadblock to my own success. Everything that I did was for one direction only, and everything else was counter to that. Like it, it didn't even matter outside of that one thing. So I imagine, and, and somewhat in a forgiving imagineness, think about people who are in that situation who don't actually know how stupid they are for what they're saying. Um, and and I, I really mean that is like, yeah. it's a stupid statement, first of all, to think that your problems only happen to you. You know, like the world chose you. No, you just didn't choose yourself. Um, you know, something something happened along the way. But I think that's the problem. And the, the scariest thing for me, and, you know, for a guy that, that professes to be pretty happy, this is a pretty doom and gloom conversation. But, <laughs> really you know, been, but, it's it, but uh, sorry, guys. No, uh, but the fact of the matter is, um, you know, I don't know what could be said in a, in what forum it could be said yeah. that either side. And, and that's the thing is like, I don't want to make it left and right. I don't want to make it conservative or, you know, uh, liberal or whatever it is, but it is like, I don't want to use those terminologies, but it has yeah. been split so perfectly down those lines. Yeah. Um, and it's gotten so the middle ground is like this this barren land where both sides are screaming that you can't live if you want to be free. You know, you can't live in the middle. You can't live in the middle. So it's like, where do you go? Well, I didn't know that I was a Second Amendment extremist until I wasn't allowed to reside in the middle and ask questions about the Second Amendment. So, yeah, I like right. guns. I exercise my right on guns. But if I'm not down here wearing a, a MAGA cap, giving an NRA flag, and shooting pistols like Yosemite Sam, apparently I am not enthusiastic enough about the Second enough. Amendment. <laughs> you know, so it's like I just think that it's a problem when people can't tap out of conversations. Like I don't know enough about this to really have an opinion, so mm -hmm. not going to have one. Like <laughs> that's the way I feel about a lot of shit. Yeah. But the things that I do have opinions on, I am always willing to gain better insight so that if that opinion needs adjustment or mm -hmm. changing, it's not going to break my heart. Like, I will say this 100% as a gun enthusiast. If there was a way that we could 100% eradicate violent crime, murder, and accidental discharge of firearms without getting rid of guns, then I would go that route if it was going to mean the destruction and death of every human being, if we kept guns, then I would go without guns. You know, like 
dude, I just want people to exercise life, like whatever that means. If shooting a gun is safe and happy and fills their freezer or fills their heart with joy shooting clays or whatever it is, mm-hmm. like, doesn't bother me. Somebody that doesn't want to own a firearm doesn't bother me. Yeah. But for some reason, those two people hate the hell out of each other, <laughs> you know? Really and I just don't know. I just don't know how on topics that are so divisive, you know, abortion, religion laws, um, you know, just all this stuff that's going on right now. How, who is the centralizing figure? And I'm asking this, I'm asking this as a man that's lost. Like who is the centralizing figure that can unite? Who is the centralizing figure that can really create conversation again? You know, who will people listen to? Is it a Kim Kardashian type who has more following and influence than maybe the president of the United States? I don't know. That's a, that's that's a new conundrum that the American citizen faces. You know, we're a culture of celebrity now. So mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It's uh and again, if you're listening to this, I apologize, but these are the questions that I've been racking my brain over for 18 months. Like And these are the ones again like you had said that me and you talk about frequently just with like when it's just the two of us talking. I mean, like these are exactly the same kind of conversations that you and I have. So this sure. isn't like we decided to get on and make it you know, a miniature Alex Jones show, but like, this is what me and you talk about when we're, when we're talking anyways. Yeah. Well, I mean, and these are, these are not accusations. Like I'm not, right. like I'm not accusing anyone of any one thing. I'm just stating observations that I've yeah. made, like generous reductions in what it means to be patriotic, generous reductions in what it means to be American. Like the, the funny, you know, and I was talking with a guy about this over the weekend, <laughs> the hard line for someone who deems himself patriotic is that we now live in a world where there's a legal system in place, first of all, that is expansive and observant. So let's say you're just two days early on the revolution. Well, you're a murderer. But if you're on the back end of the revolution, then you're a revolutionary. But if you end up on the wrong side of it, let's say you're fighting, again, to draw up something like a civil war, um, you know, if you're fighting on the on the side that you believe in or convicted in, but then you lose, like you're probably gonna post on Instagram that you have these beliefs. You're probably gonna post pictures of yourself donning the attire. So it's like there are gonna be ramifications for people that have never really been felt before. Like we had the Nuremberg trials for the Nazis. We had those kind of things. But I really do think that if something shakes down you talk about going back to 2006 for a tweet. Imagine how so far somebody would dig into people's rhetoric about what they think being a patriot is. You know, like how dangerous is it to be a patriot right now? Yep. Yeah. Wow. We just went full blown. We like, did, man. <laughs> I am so, I, like, I really had no intention of going there. I was like, don't talk about anything negative, but here we are. <laughs> but, but the aware, I mean, yeah. But this is, again, this is what me and you talk about. And it's funny that, I mean, I don't have, I don't have a ton of friends that I have these kind of conversations with. So I'm glad I get to have them with you because like, this is when I get to, you know, cause I think about these things and I talk to them with, uh, I talk to them with my wife 
and sure. you know have those kind of conversations with her but you know she's on a totally different not not that she disagrees with me in any way but her interest level is just not in the same space that mine is in a lot of these things and so being able to like just have these conversations I'm like yeah you know I, I need to probably text Brandon today because I got some <laughs> weird stuff I'm thinking about <laughs> well you know and that's the thing is I drive a lot I mean that's yeah. if you want to if you want to make an excuse for why I am the way that I am I drive a lot and I've noticed you know uh, again, not to knock Rogan by any stretch of the word. I think he's doing a fantastic job of navigating a very difficult situation with very important people right now. Mm -hmm. But if you listen to Rogan every episode for a week, you know, sometimes he does three or four a week. Well, let's just say he does three and they're averaging right around two and a half hours. Yeah. So you're talking about seven and a half to maybe 10 hours a week of conversations around these topics nonstop. Like, yeah. Like just you're we're in a vacuum of it, and I don't really talk to people about it, um, primarily because one, I, I think you know this about talking to me is like I can be saying a, a stream of consciousness, but I'm also like having alternate <laughs> conversations, not really like right. alternate conversations like voices, you know, but like right. uh, like I'm trying to add to the conversation in my own head because so many so much of the time. I'm by myself in my truck having totally. these kind of like, why do you think this? Or how do you feel this way? Or, you know, so I don't always say out loud everything that I'm thinking. And sometimes that leaves things left unsaid. I mean, just to be very blunt about it. And that's where I find that I could get in trouble is if I don't explain my point, because I can always come back to the middle. Like I can always follow somebody's trail back to the middle I always want to try to make sure that people can follow my thinking too. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I leave out those steps. So it's not something that I willingly talk about very much because, you know, the wrong text message worded the wrong way or the wrong soundbite worded the wrong way. And dude, somebody could just, you know, you can just be asking a question and somebody could damn you for that. Yeah. And then it's over basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't give a fuck. Like, <laughs> well, I, right. you know, I, mean, like, I, I used, I used to, to make it that way. Yeah. I used to, but the thing is, no matter what I say, I've thought about it. I might, I might need to ask for some clarification. But if we're in a conscious or if we're in a state of of being that, if I say something out loud and I'm not allowed to clarify that, then why would I talk at all? You know. So I don't know. Um, that, but it just goes back to to the only positive thing that I can say about it is it has made me accountable to myself again. You know, mm -hmm. get outside, train journal get your you know get your finances in order pay off any debt that you can pay off um you know it's 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 a very negative antagonist but it's kind of it's it's led to a lot of positivity for me i mean i, I think that i i have to do those things yeah. um just to feel like i'm doing something just to feel like i'm doing something to quiet that questioning you know if that makes sense totally and in and in that segue, um, obviously the one of the main reasons that I wanted to talk to you today, which it was kind of crazy when I was texting you the other day and we were scheduling this mm -hmm. <clears throat> for whatever reason, all day that day until yesterday, actually, I was thinking that yesterday was the day, mm -hmm. but it was actually today. Right. And so that was kind of weird for me too. And I'm like, wow, I'm actually going to be, we're going to be having this conversation on that day. Like I thought I'd have yesterday to kind of like, you know, 
have a little bit of reflect and and that kind of thing, which I still did. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but it was just kind of, yeah, it was interesting that it, it happened today. I'm actually kind of glad that it did. Yeah. But um, yeah, for, you know, there probably will be people that turn into this that haven't had a clue what I'm saying yet. Um, but our, our good friend, uh, Terrence Mitchell passed away a year ago today. And, uh, he was somebody that for a lot of ways improved a lot of things about my life, even from a, in probably a shorter amount of time than a lot of other people, uh, that I got to know him. Like the efficiency of his impact was pretty impressive. Mm. And, uh, and so I wanted to do this episode just to kind of like, tell cool tea stories and like, you know, things that we learned, like kind of like a lessons from tea kind of episode. And we talked, I mean, we've already said a few of them, like the the whole concept of, because he was so like, and, and you were much closer with him than, than I was too. And uh, just his depth mm-hmm. is, is something that a lot of people could pick up on having not even known him, you know, like, and, and that's really cool. I think like people who just kind of knew him on the periphery, were like there's something different about him, you know, like you could pick up on that. For sure. Well, and I think that probably much of why, you know, much of how I'm speaking to you today mm-hmm. is momentum from conversations with Terrence. Um, inevitably, you know, when I would get up at five o'clock in the morning, I would be, I would wake up to a series of messages good morning, brother. How are you today? Like, you know, he would just, he would just rip into the voice messages. And, you know, the first message was always kind of the good morning, assault your day kind of message. And then the next message was something along the lines of what he had eaten that day or, or what he had, uh, you know, maybe a, a problem he had overcome that day or something that was bothering him or, you know, whatever. And then it would detail into his training and, you know, to wake up to somebody who, who individually was doing this for a lot of people. I mean, I know that um, I wasn't the only one on the, on the receiving end of those messages. And I know that he wasn't, you know, just sending one message to multiple people. He was very, very adamant about the personalization of those things. Um, he was such a vibrant personality. Uh, I, I was always kind of disappointed when he would text. And, <laughs> right. um, you know, because I, I would read it in his voice. I would read the words the way that I would perceive that he would say them. But, you know, when he would send you a message, there was, there's nothing like it. And, um, yeah, I think that that's been probably one of the, one of the harder things for me in the last year is realizing how much impact, you know, and he couldn't believe it either. He's like, I'm, I'm just this guy from South Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like, people know who I am in America and into an American, you know, going through a lot of the stuff that we talked about, that sentiment still mattered a lot to him, you know, because he was like, that's where you really know you've made it because they cut the shit. Mm-hmm. I think his perception of that was a little bit false, but, um, <laughs> but, but there is a, there is a, a, a reality and a truth to what he was saying. Like yeah. America is a pretty, pretty Titanic market. So um, for somebody to have their story heard, uh, to be really appreciated and respected by people, you know, in a very cool level. Um, he was just, he was just unique and he was free, um, you know, in a way that was, he just wasn't limited. You know, I think that was the, 
that's the way to define it. Um, mm-hmm. He was passionate. He was aggressive. He was, he really was bound to nothing. You know, he, he was living the life that he preached. Uh, he was financially independent. He was taking care of himself in a physical way. He was able to cook for himself. He was able to clean his residence. Um, he maintained friendships. He maintained entertainment inside his home. You, you know, I mean, like, Jesus, for a guy 37, 38 years old to really openly profess about how many challenges he'd had in his life, he was fucking doing the thing, mm-hmm. you know? And I think there is <laughs> probably the, the the saddest thing about the whole process for me when I think about him is the same thing that I think people would tell you is sad about most guys like, like us, you know, the introspective and is that we will never ever see in ourselves what other people see in us. Mm. And I think that was, I think that was Terrence. There are four or five guys in our friend group right now that I can point out that I think, have that same light, that same capability, that same vision and voice. It's just, you know, and I think that there are aspects of me, you know, that that have that sort of need to champion his story. But it's the trick is it's not his story. It's not championing Mitchell's strength. It is always giving credit to the life that you live or I live to Mitchell's strength, to Terrence Mitchell. Um, not trying to carry on his legacy so much as to carry my life forward as his legacy. And that's something that I've really, again, I, I beat a thought to death, but that's one of the things that I've tried to really think about is, man, I can sit here and post pretty pictures of Terrence. I can post his workouts. I can talk about his life. I can tell you all kinds of stories and that's great. And those things should be done. But if I live a piece of shit life, then all I'm doing is just becoming a Hall of Fame for Terrence. If I really want to honor Terrence, I need to live my life in a way that his instruction and his leadership influenced Mm -hmm. so that my life is better, so that I live more like he was living um, within a code. You know, I I think that's just it for me is I want to be a living testimony to the friendship that we had, the instruction he had as my coach, the conversations that we had in private, the dreams that I shared with him that are still wildly in place. But, you know, it's just I really, really lost someone that I loved and cared about a year ago. And um, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know how many more people have the guts to live like he did put it that yeah. way that's a really good way of putting it too because that was one of the things that because i want to say right around the time and th- and this is probably one of the trippiest things to me about and, and and i'm sure you probably feel a similar way to this like i have a, a decent amount of people that have started following along with like the podcast or uh, fall like that, that have become coaching clients of mine, right? Sure. In the last in the last two years, right? And <laughs> it's a it's a large number of people that have told me I found you through Terrence's page, and that mm-hmm. trips me out. Like it's it's the it's one of the more humbling 
things like that he would share stuff of mine like and that you do then that you do it too and that you you guys would both share stuff of mine and uh i'd be like oh yeah i found you through lily's page and terrence posted stuff about you and stuff like that and i'm like that is so wild to me and uh it's just like one of the humbling i'm like super grateful for that because when i remember i first reached out to him like man i don't even remember it was only a few weeks after i had really connected with you for the first time and you mm-hmm. had posted something and so i did what probably most people did was they go to his page and then you're there for the next three hours and you're scrolling back from every post from the previous two years reading everything and i did that immediately so i just reached out to him and first thing he did was send me a voice message back within like the first 15 minutes and i was like okay, this dude's cool. Like, I mean, I, I, yeah. I could pick that up from reading his posts and everything, but like, he's a cool dude. And then it was the same thing, like just checking in and seeing how you're doing and asking me how my training was going, telling me what he's doing that day. And then we would start, you know, and, and we really became kind of close right at the beginning of all the shutdown stuff. And he was obviously dealing with a lot different stuff in South Africa than oh, yeah. what we were doing here at the time. And this was like, you know, in even in March and stuff where they were still called like stay at home orders. And it wasn't like, you know, nobody really knew what was going on yet. But South Africa, he's, he, he messaged me one day. He's like, it's pretty much full martial law down here now. And mm-hmm. after he said that, I always remember this, and mainly because I still have the message. But uh, after he said that, it was like the next day he uh, had this like killer training session they told me about. And then like the next sentence was like, I'm so thankful for this lockdown. Yeah. And, and like, that's just how he was. Like, he's like, uh, the day before he's like, yeah, pretty much full martial law here. It's pretty scary. Then the next day he's like, I'm so thankful for this. Like, it's awesome. Cause he gets to spend time training and cooking and doing what, like doing the things he loves to do. Mm-hmm. And he gets to do them anyways, you know? And that's just like that, that, that exchange was like the most perfect, like picture of him for me, like getting, getting to know him early on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, you, you think about these people who they just, they're on a frequency, you know, he was, I think it's kind of like how you romanticize rock stars in a way. Mm-hmm. Like they say, they make them, they make the music that you want to hear. They wear the clothes that you want to wear. They, you know, they look a certain way. They live their life in this kind of, you know, gypsy Baha'i kind of way. But that was the, that was the irony or the the paradox with Terrence is that, you know, he was chasing this, this inward self through plant medicines and, and psychedelic trips and all that kind of stuff, which a lot of people, you know, maybe at an educated level might say, well, this is, you know, tisk tisk. this isn't, this isn't research. This isn't real. Right. And then at the other side of the coin, he was also brilliant about biology and kinesiology and, you know, had deep, deep understanding of the science of training as well as the application of it. And I, I just like, I like people who, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, I am large, I contain multitudes. And that's always something that I wanted to be myself is when somebody asks, you know, after I'm gone, like, who is that guy? I want them to have to think about it, you know, and that's, that's <laughs> yeah. very much who Terrence was, you know, he's not a strength coach. Um, he, he was a life liver. Um, uh, I, I mean, I don't know, like, how do you define that guy? Yeah. And maybe we shouldn't try to box people in so much. And I just think it was, I just think it was interesting. You know, he was so professional. He was so polite. 
uh, he, he was just, a, he was a perfect contradiction within himself, you know, and I think, uh, unfortunately, that's, that's what plagued him right up till the end is you, you're always at war with yourself. Um, I just think some people have it, have it harder than others. And I mean, that's something I've talked about. I know that's something you've talked about. I will always be my harshest critic. I will always be the person who doubts myself the most. Uh, it's it's weird to believe in yourself more than anyone, but always doubt yourself the most. But um, you know, these are conversations that we had, and these are these are things that that I think about with him. You know, I think about how open he was about his pain, and how open his mother has been to me as his friend about feelings and things that he felt and shared with her and. You know, that's that's probably been the greatest gift if there's anything that you can deduce from it besides the lessons and the friendship that he gave me for the time that we knew one another. Um, he, he was definitely an example of how you can live differently than what anybody says. Mm. But his mother and I, we, we don't talk every day, but when we do talk, it's always important. It's always good. She is no doubt without any hesitation the first person i share anything related to hunting to um <laughs> we have a we have a very strong connection about the outdoors whenever i go on a hunt i tell her i'm leaving whenever i'm out there she messages asking how i'm doing she sends pictures from her garden and you know it's just a it's just a strange thing um that you know you have this relationship with such a beautiful person and for me, I think it's it's done two things. One, I think it's prevented me from completely mourning Terrence, you know, and maybe that's good. Like maybe I need to do it in doses. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing is it's kept aspects of him alive because, I mean, there's days where we talk and it's just, it's terribly difficult conversation. And there's other days where we talk about her artwork. We talk about the way she's decorating you know, a room in Terrence's memory or, you know, just any number of things. But it's like this person invested in me because her son was my friend, mm -hmm. you know, and like, yeah. who the fuck does that? So, um, uh, I, I don't know. It just became very, very clear to me as to why Terrence was such a special person. The more I've gotten to know her, mm -hmm. um, and his brother guy is an exceptional, is an exceptional young man. Um, you know, I just, I feel fortunate to, uh, I mean, the things he must have said about me to her, for her to invest in me is all I need to know. Yeah, really. So it's, uh, one of my, God, I'm, so, I'm a fucking train wreck. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, one of my, one of my favorite things is the, and and you kind of alluded to it too, like, the idea that we don't necessarily like, and I feel the same way. I don't need to, I don't, I don't feel like I need to do a bunch of in memory posts and stuff. Like, even though I, the, like yesterday, I shared one of my favorite chunks of things he ever wrote. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, because I was just doing the same thing I usually do. Like, I'll go a couple months and be like, I just need to go read through some of Terrence's stuff again. <laughs> and like, yeah. I'll just go back and get lost in, in his writing. And, that, and that's, this is a weird side tangent. I probably need to reach out to Guy because there has to be a way. Because I remember that his, his old website got like hacked and shut down. And it had a mm -hmm. ton of articles that were posted that aren't anywhere else. I know. So, that's... that's <laughs> 
So yeah, there has selfishly. to be there has to be somewhere like on maybe saved in somewhere on his old computer or like somewhere in the internet where things like that exist still because I I have to know if there's things like that that we can get back you know for kind of for kind of selfish reasons because I want to keep reading his stuff but <clears throat> like the some of the simple things of of messages that I would get um of people saying like they did the the 30 days of discipline program. And it was even, it was even something as simple as just the, the, you know, his, his list of non-negotiables, like here's your daily Mm -hmm. habits list essentially. Right. And a couple of those things, like it would just maybe be one thing on that list for somebody. They didn't have to do all of them for it to be effective. But like some, I would get messages be like, man, I never used to be able to wake up early. And I just, you know, after reading Terrence, I just decided I'm gonna start waking up at five, completely changed my life. Yeah. And like, I mean, there's just little things like that. But, it, you know, that was the, the way that he talked about that kind of stuff. Like, it was that motivating, but it was that is like that kick you in the pants and get you going. But here, I'm going to keep my hand on your back and go with you kind of, yeah. kind of approach to it, you know, so you didn't like feel like you're getting just, you know, reamed and drill sergeanted out about stuff that you knew you needed to be doing better. But like he did it because he's like, I love all you guys. Like this is yeah. this stuff works and here do this stuff and it works. And here's why. And I do it too. You know, it was, and so I get those messages all the time. And I'm just like, man, like, it's so cool. Like for me to get those messages, like, why, why that it's just crazy to me. Yeah. I think it's interesting that he, um, you know, in a world where we have a lot of people tell and that's, I don't know how to quantify his impact necessarily, but if you, if you look at him for the truth, the truth is he just shared his life in a model that was, you know, repeatable. Um, I see a lot of people. And one of the things that I really, really, have an issue with when I talk about like these masculine groups or these men's groups is I know for myself and, and you and I have talked about this maybe even on a podcast before, but Terrence was very good at, at escaping this kind of accusation. Mm-hmm. So I believe that in men that are broken, looking to rebuild themselves, looking to get on a path, they're intimately aware of their shortcomings. Absolutely. You know, that why you're a piece of shit, whether you have written it down, whether you've admitted it fully, like, you know, why who you are. So I think what happens is one of two things, either you give a guy a, a checklist of a hundred things or 50 things that make him a man and the 40 or the 90 that he has, right. He overlooks and, and just let's burn. And he, he destroys himself over the 10 or whatever it is that you're telling him he's not good at. When he fixes those things, other things have slid. So now you have another reason to keep retaining him on and on and on and on and onward. Now, retention is not a bad thing, but retention through loyalty and progression is totally different than fear-based. And Terrence was never a fear-based person. He was never telling you that you were awful. He was never telling you that you were weak. He was defining that certain trains of thought were weak or certain actions were less than than good or less than advantageous for your progression, but he was never saying you were bad. And I think that was something that a lot of people uh, really don't recognize as much about him is that he was just purely living his life and sharing the steps towards his own success. And in doing so, he would have conversations about 
pitfalls or why he thought things or why he felt things or mistakes he sees others making. But he was never saying, you're a failure. You're a bad person. You can't live a better life. Like so many of those groups are like, yeah, that's probably why they're coming to you. They need help. So I think a lot of times it's very, very easy to fall into that that mindset of victim and then also to play the the, well, I need help. I need constant help. I need constant help. And Terrence's message was, here are the steps to self-ownership so that if now if you take that person, like if Terrence had gone into a men's group, he'd have been the fucking leader in six weeks. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Um, yeah. That's, just the, that's just part of it. Like if you really want to be an accountable man, you need a tribe, you need your community, you need those people to help and support you. But don't lean on that tribe so much to improve yourself. Improve yourself and contribute that to the tribe. Mm-hmm. that's a great way to put it the and that was a very like because i want to get into even some of the more specific things that i know he helped i know he helped both of us mm-hmm. at a very important time specifically as it relates to training like and, and just his general approach to the the thing of training was something that I was kind of going that route at that time, like working my way into the kettlebell stuff, like as my main thing, right? Like I'd been mm-hmm. doing it for about a year or so, um, year and a half, like where that was kind of the route that I was starting to go after leaving like the sports performance and then the only lifting kind of realm, right? And then you obviously come from the powerlifting background and stuff like that. And this was like all kind of at an important time during your whole rebuild of all that kind of stuff that a lot of his influence in the training aspect came into it. So like, what was some of the, as far as uh, specifically the training stuff, like what was some of the most impactful things that he kind of instilled? And then that, that now, because I know what it was for you, but like, I can see you still doing those things, even though you're doing other programs and that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, for me, um, because of my injury and powerlifting, it, it more or less, slowly ended my career through 19 surgeries. So I had a real marriage to the idea of who I was with a barbell and the things that I could do with a barbell. So anytime that I would, you know, okay, this is the time we're going to, we're going to make out a squat program. We're going to follow that. We're going to do well with it. All right. This is the time where you kind of get this monkey off your back. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I would get to, 225 i would get to 315 i would get to 405 and you know even onward to 500 or 600 and it was always like yeah i could do it but it never felt good um it never felt the way that it used to and there was always that ongoing comparison of how it used to feel versus how it feels now um and what that would lead to is i mean there's months and months and months and this is talking back like 14 15 16 where I would literally make myself sit in the garage for an hour, whether I touched a weight or not, um, but I would make myself dedicate that hour. And most of the time I couldn't do it. Like I trained just enough that people knew I still trained, you know, Mm -hmm. basically just there was no joy in it. There was no direction in it. Um, I was really, really lost. I didn't enjoy any aspect of, of training because I knew, and I mean, for 20 years, I knew every single day, what a good day felt like and what a bad day felt like. And no matter how good I felt now or then, yeah. um, 
I never felt good in the same way. So I was also trying to get my my blood work back to a level of like health and normal and all these things. So really I was, you know, whatever hormonal imbalance impact, you know, on my psychology, dude, I was just not in a good place. So I needed something to entertain me. I needed something to distract from the fact that I didn't enjoy lifting weights the way that I used to. And this is, you know, this is the hardline answer for people asking me, like, why aren't, why aren't you involved in powerlifting anymore? And why aren't you do these things? Because I don't love it. Like, I, I just, I can't be excited about things that I'm not currently doing. Um, even though I did it at a high level and I have a vast amount of information and application for it, it just doesn't get me off. So, like, you know, I wish it did. I'd probably make a little more money if I was invested in it. But I just, I just don't care enough about it um, on a personal level. And maybe it's kind of like, Maybe it's the drug that I can't touch. You know, I just can't go near it. So anyway, um, I started, I met Chino. I was still about 300 pounds or so. I was already starting to do a little better. Like I was starting to get my ass in gear. <clears throat> but Chino, I met him at Winter Strong. And he was like, hey, man, you know, I see you shooting your bow. I see you you're doing all that kind of stuff. He was like, that's cool. He was like, you should think about a Western hunt. You know, if you ever get yourself in shape and you want to come hunt mule deer, talk to me so i was like hell yeah that sounds awesome you know and i was i was already following cam haynes at the time um started to get into john dudley and that that crew so became hiking and running and shooting my bow and just kind of like this outdoors cam haynes model you know and uh it it was fun it was good It, it helped me detach it helped me feel good about myself again it helped me feel like okay i am athletic again i'm not an athlete per se but i'm athletic inclined Mm -hmm. and then i went to to kind of like all right we're going to work out again i was so weak from all the running that it was just like holy shit like where do i even start well fast forward and that's when i met terrence at uh, summer strong and that fall we started working together in 19 so it just kind of like it all went together. I was looking to rebuild strength, but I didn't want to have that reoccurring argument with myself as like, you're not as strong as you once were. So you start picking up kettlebells. You have no frame of reference of how heavy it is, how hard it should feel, nothing. But I could put that same enthusiasm of, okay, if I could do this for 10 today, I want to be able to do it for 12 tomorrow. Or if I did, uh, you know, 20 kilos today, I want to be able to do 25 in three weeks, whatever it is, you know. But it just gave me a ground to start progressing again, unattached to any kind of memory or whatever whatever you want to call it. Like, I was just able to unlock myself from the way I used to feel about strength in general, as well as what I felt was strong for me. So, it was just perfect timing. And I don't know who it would have been if it wasn't Terrence. I mean, I was looking for an outlet, you know, sure. to to find that training. Um, I'm a really good soldier. Like I, you know, if you tell me to do something, I'll get it done. So I also had health goals wrapped into that where I wanted to get some, you know, organ, like some of the visceral fat around my organs down. That was something that through powerlifting had just kind of gotten on the high side of normal. So that was a goal. Um, and we just streamlined my body right down to about 216 pounds. And unfortunately, um, at the time of his passing, I was already starting jujitsu. I was already starting to have conversations with him about climbing my strength. 
because I was really starting to become like a cardio bunny in the fact that I could do a lot of the stuff forever, but I wasn't super, super strong. Mm. Um, so, you know, when Terrence passed away, um, that opened the door to revisiting Wolf Brigade, right. you know, and, and working with Greg, which Terrence had a tremendous amount of respect for Greg and vice versa. Um, and it's just really strange how I would have never circled back to to Greg's work had it not been for Terrence. So it's just a it's that's another one of those things that kind of messes with my head a little bit, like you know how Terrence is this perfect sentence in a in a longer story that just completes a paragraph. You know, um, his presence in my life allowed everything else to flow, kind of how it is, and you know when you think, man. I had to find this person and then ultimately had to lose this person to to continue on a path that probably, you know, I, I can't lie and say that it hasn't been good for me to, to right. follow this path. Right. Um, and I would not probably be on this path where Terrence still alive today. And that's a very hard thing to say. But it is also like I'm so grateful that I can say that because mm -hmm. his life, however brief in mind, was so impactful like if, if you think about it in, in the right terms you know different situation i'm the guy over the cliff and terrence's hand is the one grabbing mine to keep me from falling further you know and he pulls me back up and sends me on my way so you know when you when you really start to weigh out how much impact he had on my life and my my path i mean there there are relationships in play because of terrence there are business maneuvers in play because of mm -hmm. Terrence. There are things that, that are still ongoing in my own life that were basically, you know, cornerstone by my friendship with Terrence. So, you know, I certainly, obviously by the, the fact that I speak his name and I start getting emotional, tells you that I haven't really delved into full circle healing of it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I've at least gotten far enough that I'm not just completely sad about the fact that he's no longer here you know i can see beyond he was a beautiful person and a, an intelligent human being i can see where those ripples have gone you know yeah. I, I recognize how heavy his impact was in my life and i'll certainly never ever forget it yeah the uh because i mentioned like at that at around that time that he and i connected i was like get i was i was taking the kettlebell stuff more seriously and part of that had to do with I was leaving the the gym world at the mm -hmm. time. Like that was right around the time I decided to leave the being in a gym and and do the online space more. Which I mean, me, me and you have talked about that that experience for me and all that kind of stuff. But you know, my my own training in that time when you're essentially building a brand new business and you're you're kind of out on the edge. And at the time, my wife was Molly was pregnant, like six months pregnant. We had just bought a, a new house. I mean, like there was tons of stuff. Great happening. time to quit your job. <laughs> right. And that's a whole other story, by the way, of that wasn't necessarily how it happened, but it ended up being for the best. But, for sure. uh, but during that time, like there's so many things going on. And it's funny that, and, and you probably get this too, like because of what we do as a job as coaches, Mm -hmm. And I know that this is stuff that this is part of this is this is Terrence's whole jam, right? Like 
we still deal with all the same crap that everybody else does as it relates to how we how we need to take care of ourselves too, mm-hmm. right? Like we're not immune from it just because we help others do it. Like, and so the thing that was like the first thing to go when all that crap was going down was like my training just fell in the tank. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I got other things I need to take care of. And I, I mean, and, and to a point that was true, but the farther away from my training that I got, the harder it became to deal with all the other things going on because I wasn't, I wasn't mentally strong anymore, mm-hmm. wasn't physically where I needed to be. And that affects everything moving from myself outwards. And I remember like, cause when, when I got the 30 day deal in March, cause I went through it and he was, I, I got it from him. Like, I think maybe even the day before he released it. Cause he's like, I'm doing this tomorrow. I'm like, well, send it to me now. Cause I'll do it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, um, like the third, the third workout I still do every once in a while because it, it lit a, it flipped a switch in my head to something that like, I always just for some dogmatic reason, as it comes to training, his concept of volume changed everything for me. Mm -hmm. Like as it, as it relates to programming and coaching and stuff like the third workout, you know, it's got, cause that whole one is mostly body weight stuff. It's got, uh, some overhand pull-ups. It's got some uh, push-ups. Got some dips, and it's got fifty Hindu squats. And you do that for mm-hmm. ten rounds. So you're doing five hundred squats, and that's just one of the four things you're doing in that workout. Like I think that one was pretty close to a nine hundred or thousand rep workout. Yeah. And like that's the third workout of this thing, and it just melted me, like in a in a good way because I hadn't gone to that place. Mm-hmm. in years in training like since i was competitive and i was like i knew that there was this other thing i needed to train for right and so doing going through that i'm like wow this is this is something i've been missing for a long time and it wasn't because i was like crumpled onto the ground and i needed peeled up off the off the floor because i was i was wrecked i was but like it was because there's a, a level of change mentally too arguably more so mentally, uh, but physically that won't ever happen without some serious volume every once in a while. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, like if you're talking about physical transformations and stuff, you know, we, we can talk all the time about the smart ways to ease somebody into a coaching program. If they, if they're coming from nothing, like as far as they're never trained, uh, in their life, like you start them in, in ways that aren't going to break them and they never want to train again. Right. Mm-hmm. But like you get to a point where, you're going to make that next step. And when he started throwing all these things at me, like with all these volume things and we, and, and I talked to him about it several times, he's like, half of it is just going through the parts that suck when you realize you're halfway through a thousand reps mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and like the mental stuff that you will talk yourself out of 400 times in a workout like that, but you get through it and go to the other side and you're, you know, you're laying in a pool of sweat on the ground, but you get up like, that's the best feeling in the world. And that gives you that sense to you like, I need, I'm going to do this again tomorrow. And it's not because it's like you're hurting, but because you overcame something that was so horrible, you literally didn't think you were going to finish it. And then you do finish it, you know? And, and that, and I think that was like the, he was really good at the give you what you want, but I'm going to also give you what you need mm-hmm. on the back end of it. You know, I'm going to tell you, this is what we're doing because this is what I know you want, but I'm going to sneak in the stuff that I know you need. 
too. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? Well, I think that, um, you know, there, there's other personalities out there that, that I will say, uh, and one we've talked about very recently, that are doing the kind of work from the understanding that human beings as an organism adapt really, really well. So if you give a high ad- adaptation point, um, you're going to get some pretty magical response. Like if you can commit to giving to something, not just finishing it, you know, there, there's a difference. Like there are some people that will take Terrence's workouts and finishing is the pinnacle, like right. just getting through it. But I would challenge you the next time that you do that workout or do something similar to push a little bit harder and then push a little bit harder. And what you end up getting is you just really become this, this different person. I mean, I would argue that most people in the throes of depression haven't really equated something to a victory in a very, very long time. You know, like it's not very victorious to, to drive to town and get a fast food meal. You know, it's, it's a victory. It's a victory if you get up and you cook something yourself, or it's a victory if you make it through a workout. So I think that that was the cool thing about Terrence's workouts is they were completely scalable. Like if you just need to get through one round and that's your win, mm-hmm. do one round of this, mm-hmm. take as long as it takes, but finish it and then come back in the next time to get two or three or whatever it is. Um, ultimately until it's like, okay, we're going to push this time when we do 500 Hindu squats, we're going to see how fast we can do it. And that's just it. I mean, that really is the mirror right there. How willing you're hard to push when it doesn't really get put on display, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that's what any good coach can get from someone is the, the respect that I know where you are. I know where we can get you, but you've just got to start stacking W's Mm -hmm. and, you know, to kind of lend to the plus one mentality, every single situation we have is a plus one or minus one. You know, you're either getting closer to your financial dreams or you're getting further away. You're getting closer to your health goals or you're getting further away. Like, you know, do you do you eat the bun on the burger or do you take it off? Like, it doesn't have to be, you know, you can have the burger, but just, <laughs> you know, try to do the wins and get the things right. done that you need to do when you need to do them and start stacking them. And that's that's very much what Terrence understood was he could give you a workout that would break you down but you've got to come back tomorrow. And that was the point that you made is, is like you get excited once you start winning again, you know, it's mm-hmm. infectious. And that's what creates the momentum. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, stacking, stacking wins. That's what that is. I mean, and that's how you make change over time rather than like, I'm just going to melt myself in these workouts for a week and then I'm not going to be able to like, I'm going to do them as prescribed, even though I've never trained now I can't move for two weeks and I'm, and I'm ticked. So I was like, what was the point of this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like jujitsu, you know, I yeah. can, you can go in there for three months and you can improve, but you still suck. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and people just need to be realistic with themselves. You didn't get a hundred pounds overweight overnight. You're not going to lose a hundred pounds overnight. Um, equal in equal out like if it, it was a really long slow process like that's the other thing too that terrence was really good about was you know he didn't it was the 30 days of discipline but that was like yeah so you'll see that it works and then it's forever yeah, you know not, it wasn't not done in 30 it days. wasn't like 30 days and then okay the brakes come off it's like if you do it strictly for 30 days your life will improve no doubt about it like you will be a better person for having done that. 
Um, and you may not, and that was that was one of the differing points with Terrence and I. We had separation on those non-negotiables, um, whether just because it's, I'm rebellious or <laughs> they're just things that I thought, you know, didn't need to be on the list. But at the same time, when I was strictly training under his model, I did it. You know, I did it the way that he wanted to do. Um, and I probably should revisit that throughout times of the year just to like, okay, where am I really having pitfalls? I know this works. I know it's successful. Where can I tighten up? You know, where can I do a little better for myself? But the one thing that's tough for me is is around the the waking time because I'm always a hundred different places, you know. So there are things that just have to be adapted. But on that note, you know, this is not to take away from his influence, but there's somebody out there that might hear this that thinks, okay, I have to wake up at 4.30 because Jocko does, or I have to wake up at 5 o'clock because Terrence said so, or I have to do this because so-and-so says so. Mm-hmm. If you work a third shift job, none of those things are going to factor into your life. None of those things are going to work for you. So you have to take those parameters. And what I usually tell people is I like to think of myself as a bowling lane. You know, give me bumpers. And I'll get where I need to go. Like I'll I'll get to the pins and I'll probably knock most of them down. Take those away and who knows where I'll go, right? Right. So if Terrence gives you this non-negotiable list and Ross gives you this non-negotiable list, but they're different, well, now you have two sets of parameters to look at and be like, okay, there's some overlap on this one, so that one's probably really good. There's some overlap here, but I can't really do that one because of my work schedule or my kids sure. or whatever. And you have to be honest about these things because sometimes that's just an excuse. But I, th- I know a lot of people just reach out to me and ask that question of like, well, I can't do it because I work second shift or I can't do this because of that reason. And listen, more power to you. I get it. I sympathize with it. But that's where you've got to find a system that works. Mm-hmm. It's more consistency. It's more getting in bed at the same time. It's more waking yeah. up around the same time. Whenever that is, um, I will say that probably there's something to the circadian rhythm but if if your if your day revolves around going into work at 11 p.m. and getting up at 3 p.m., listen, you're going to have to make some adjustments there. So, totally. um, just well, use those things as parameters. Whatever I say, Ross says, Terrence said. I mean, there's value in all of them, and there's discipline in all of them. And I think those are the things that that really matter most: valuable information, repeated effort, and discipline to a cause. Um, and I think you'll you'll improve your life no matter what you do. And I think some of that too is also the idea of doing something that you don't normally do. And so it's going to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, he, you know, 5 a.m. might not be the optimal time to wake up for everybody, like you said, but most people don't wake up early. Yeah. Like, or, or, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys, even if you wake up at 6.30 or 7, like waking up 90 minutes earlier is going to be tough. But well, some of those things on the nature of just them being uncomfortable – like yeah. that's that's going to be one of those things that's going to build some of that on its own. So because I'm an idiot, one of the things that always <laughs> um, hindered me was the wake up time. You know, because it's like wake up at five o'clock. Okay, I can do it. Five o'clock. Let's go. Alarm set. But I wasn't making the adjustment on the bedtime. Mm. So, you know, that's one of the other things too. Is it's like read a little further into what the discipline is actually saying. Right. You know, we know you need seven to eight hours of sleep. We know how important that is. Well. That's 10 o'clock bedtime for a 5 o'clock wake-up if you do seven hours. That's really not that bad if you think right. about it. I mean, more in the last year than ever before, I'm still terrible about it, but more than ever I've been getting in bed at 9. Um, 
kind of just flipping through whatever's on for a little bit, reading or writing in my journal, or most of the time it's just listening to music and smoking a joint. But nevertheless, it's like I've got a process where I'm in the bed at nine o'clock, right? Right. By 10 o'clock, you know, for someone like me who is literally one foot out of the bed when I sleep, you know, I'm going pretty hard. So if I sit still for a long enough time, I can find myself asleep very easily. It's just turning off the stimulus so that, yeah. you know, I'm not going to miss a text message. I'm not going to miss a DM. I'm not going to miss anything. Like if it's something real bad, mom's going to call. <laughs> you know what I right. mean? Like it's one totally. of those deals. So <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be a little better on that end of it. Getting the bed always, a little early. That's always one of the funny things that I, when you get pushed back on the bedtime thing and they're like, well, I, you know, I usually don't go to bed until like 11. And I'm like, okay, so like, what are you doing? Right. And they, like, you know, like you just sitting on your phone scrolling, like, why does that need to exist at that time? You know, well, I, mean? I will say this productive from it, you know, it, it does flip flop in the morning. I automatically yeah. have a feeling of accomplishment. Like it's two, it's two hours either way you slice it. It's like being up from 10 to midnight or being up from five to seven. Like, yep. It's the same amount of time, but in that early morning stretch, it's like, Oh, wait a minute nobody's like there's not a stream of messages coming in right now so let's address these ones that are here mm-hmm. now i'm ahead of my day instead of okay it's 7 30 and i've checked my phone for the first time and now it's like there's already been messages rolling in i'm already behind for the day you know i kind of like to receive my day somewhat head on i'm still not a five o'clock guy i just i just don't have the need necessarily to get up so six o'clock is kind of when i set mine yeah dude that 10 to 6 window and usually getting an average of like seven hours and 15 minutes of sleep mm-hmm. dude <laughs> that's working pretty good, pretty good for me yeah, so totally. if i sit here and i roll it back to five o'clock and i kind of undo this vibe i've got going well i'm an idiot you know <laughs> six o'clock right. is working because the front end of the bedtime is working totally the and, the and the productive part of it too is really cool because um, I'm trying to think of who he was talking to, but it was when Ferris had, I think, Stephen Pressfield on uh, just this year when his last book came out and they were talking about writers and like the mm-hmm. process that writers have, right? And uh, he said, if, and Ferris said something like the most productive, to, like he pretty much said every writer that I know either writes from like, 11 to 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. or from 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. Or, you know, like, or they start at yeah. 4 a.m. You know, like, because during those, they're either super night owls or they're super early risers. And it's because it's like, during that time, nobody else is awake. Like, yeah. I'm not getting, I'm not getting random text messages that are going to buzz on my desk and distract me from what I'm doing and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's not necessarily that you have to do the early thing if like you're more productive doing the night thing, but managing your sleep accordingly, you know, Mm. like you don't work until three and then go to bed and wake up at five, you know, and then expect to be productive. But like, if that's your jam, then you need to set up your schedule where you're still going to be able to do those things. And, and, and a lot for that. That would be a good, uh, that would be a good deep dive study. Like the examination of writing for morning writers versus night writers. Mm who does what and what they like, who, who created well, what, you know, I, I mean, I, I came up with a few right there. I mean, Poe, Hunter S Thompson were night riders yep. and then you have Pressfield. And I think you have some of your, uh, probably more like John Grisham types that are writing at 4am, you know? So it's, 
it'd be interesting to look at it because I think you would get a masterful, like almost uh, what, what what do they say like the the midwestern newscaster dialect you'd almost get that kind of tone in the morning riders right. and then you get the more graffiti on the wall kind of with the nighttime riders totally. i would guess as a as a vibe you're going to get a more like english literature approach by the professional morning person and then the night person is somebody that's just got shit inside of them they got to get out it's definitely a that, personality thing that's what i would think I would th- it, one of the, and I think from that same episode, it was a really good episode. One of my favorite ones Ferris did because I love when Ferris talks to other authors and writers and stuff because mm-hmm. uh, it's really cool to listen to. But Pressfield had a quote, and now I can't remember the author that he referenced. I'll have to go back and find it. But it was such a good quote because he was this author that he was talking about was asked a question like, "Well, do you just write when?" like inspiration strikes you or do you like schedule yourself every day? And like, mm-hmm. I have to write at this time no matter what. And and he said, I only write when inspiration strikes, but it just so happens that it strikes every morning at 9.15. Yeah. <laughs> and so like the, the diligence part of it, it's like, yeah, you still got, I mean, cause it's the, I just love sitting on that for a second. Cause I'm like, that's such a good response to that because yeah. the daily there's, discipline there, thing. There's value to it. I mean, I think that there's, okay, you're not inspired with that, like, you're not inspired with your opus, right? But, you know, whatever you sit down at 9.15 and write is your inspiration. And, you know, I think that there's, I I certainly need to do better of that when I do have what I would consider my version of writer's block. I can always put words down on a piece of paper because I can just, you know, I'll just write a story or Mm -hmm. something like that. But there is definitely like a musical aspect to when I am writing and it's not hard. Like when it's just coming out, it's very much like fingers are moving, head is trying to keep up kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I have definitely felt that at times. I've definitely, especially when I was in college and I was writing pretty heavily, which probably lends to the fact of discipline and frequency. But um, man, I read some of the stuff I wrote in college and if I didn't plagiarize that shit, I was a pretty good writer. You know what I mean? Like I look back and I'm like, I had to have plagiarized that, had to have. But um, in, in all seriousness, I mean, writing is something that, I mean, I was an English major, so it's something right. I took very, very seriously. Um, I love when people can write well, and I'm very, very envious of when people can make me feel what I can only assume they were feeling. Mm-hmm. And Terrence was very, very good at that, to like kind of come full circle I think that's that's one of the things that I admire most about any man is someone who can not only delve into their feelings but assess those feelings and then, you know, almost deconstruct them in a way that any casual reader can feel it, you know. And that's one of the hardest things for me. Like I said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of having multiple conversations in my head at all times because mm-hmm. I want to present to you not just what I think, but how I feel when I think it. And that's a really difficult thing. Um, you know, the shared love of Cormac McCarthy, the way that he describes things versus, you know, it's not just a horse in a field. You know, it's it's a Tennessee morning with dew on the ground. And, and I mean, he would he would say something so perfectly poetic and just, I love people that write that way. And Chuck Palahniuk, uh, author of Fight Club, you know, before he started to be a little bit monotonous with his books, like they started 
to almost be edgy for the sake of being edgy. Right. Um, one of the greatest compliments in the Rolling Stone article about Fight Club is he was like, most authors sit and they type at their typewriter with their fingers. He said, Chuck Palahniuk uses a sledgehammer. <laughs> and I thought that that was a really cool thing because, you know, there's so many one-liners from from Fight Club and all that kind of stuff. Terrence was a master at that too. Like he could say a, a, a sentence that was surgical, you know, just like, whoa, it just hits different because it's yeah. the fucking truth, you know. Um, the the Marlowe line in, in Fight Club, I won't repeat it here, but, you know, <laughs> There, there's some pretty pretty strong language yeah. in there, but it's like, man, there, there's no sugarcoating reality. That is somebody's reality out there. Um, and I think that's that's what I admired about him was he he was just raw in a way that wasn't wasn't threatening. It wasn't um, demeaning. It was just this is who I am. This is what I am. This is what I think. This is how I feel. And yeah, I mean. I don't know. I, I I don't know. I don't know if mm -hmm. the world's certainly not better off, and I don't I don't know if uh, there's ever going to be another guy quite like Terrence. You know, I, I yeah. see people that there's similarities there, but you know, to to say that there'll ever be another would probably be an insult to the truth. Totally, I think that's probably a pretty good place to wrap it because we've already done all the emotional stuff. We don't need to redig back into that after coming out of it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but sorry. Uh, no, it's good, cry. man. It, it was cry. exactly, I mean, it's what I, that's what I anticipated. It's what I was like kind of hoping for because I mean, he's our friend, you know? Yeah, for sure. And that was, I mean, more than anything, it was just fun to like tell Taryn stories and talk about our friend, you know? And that's why I wanted to talk to you today. Well, I think if anybody could just hear this and if you don't look at his page, if you don't ever look at his workouts or anything, I think the, the tenets that I would say helped me the most from Terrence that I could impart to others, ask a great deal of yourself as in what you do in a day and who you are, you know, like ask, ask questions about like, could I do more? Should I do more? Should I do better by people? Should I do better by myself? Um, and, and really, really ponder those things because they're not easy answers. They're not quick answers. They're not light. You know, they're things that you need to really, really dig into uh do some kind of physical work and tell the truth and chase a perfect meal you know because a good meal always always it just opens up so many things if you have the right people around and the right food and the preparations there i mean that's that's what i would say if you know yourself if you constantly try to do better by other people and if you have a skill, I'll just say that, it's not even food. If you have a skill that you can share with people, whether it's music, whether it's food, whether it's painting, I don't know what it is, but do something just for the sake of making other people feel good because you can do it. Amen, man. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate well, I appreciate you, you man. Thank you, brother. 